All right, and tonight we're going to try to finish the series on remembering and the, t- uh, the title. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 12, and we'll kind of start there. Uh, uh, and let me just get Second Peter here and so that I can kind of finish where we started off. It says, Yea, uh, verse 12, Wherefore I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though ye know them, and be established in the present truth. There, there has been nothing that I think in this series that uh, has been shocking or new. In fact, you cannot remember something that you haven't already learned first. Amen? Uh, you, you must know it before you remember it. And we went over the different aspects of remembrance. Peter start, we started here in Second Peter. Peter says, I want to put you into remembrance. In fact... If I didn't remind you of these things, I would be negligent. I would be neglecting my duty. I would be found at fault. And even though you know them, even though you're grounded in them, you're established in this present truth, it doesn't hurt for us to be reminded. Why? Well, one thing is we need to be encouraged to do the things that are right. Uh, Number two, we are so easily discouraged. Are we not? Uh, how, how many of you uh, are immune to distraction? I mean, it just doesn't bother you. You can have 20 things going on all around you and you're just single focus and nothing bothers you. I'd like to shake your hand if there's anybody like that here tonight. But uh, I'm afraid most of us are more easily distracted than we would like to think we are. Uh, I've often reminded myself and others that multitasking is just an excuse for doing several things poorly uh, at the same time. Uh, if, if you're going to do something, you've, you've got to do one thing at a time. Amen? Isn't that how most of us are? And here... We need to just take a few moments and remember that living for Jesus is not a hundred-yard dash. It is a life race. And I've often alluded to this uh, because it's just a part of who we are in New York City. How many of you remember what then former President Bill Clinton's aides and many people around him as they were reflecting what he thought about 9-11? How many of you remember that? Uh, where they were actually, a few of them said out loud, um, we wish something like this had happened when Bill Clinton was president so he could have shown how great a man he really is. Does anyone, uh, I, I can't tell you how deeply that offends my soul as an American, that someone would seem to think that the then President George Bush fared unfairly because the catastrophe happened on his watch. Uh, 
Uh, that kind of stuff just, you see, it comes from a very wrong understanding of life. People think that because you can shine in a moment, that you can be considered by history as a great man. And I, I want to challenge you, the exact opposite is true. It is the little moments that make a person great, either good or bad, but it's those little moments that no one's watching that prepare the person for behaving greatly at the moment of crisis or terribly, as the fact may be. Uh, there, there are many people that are brought to the test. Life is full of, uh, uh, of, of great men, great heroes, we might call them, and monsters or failures, we might call them. Uh, I, I love to read American history. Uh, I just enjoy reading about the lives of some people that, that God has used in many ways. Uh, uh, someone uh, gave me a book a little while back. It's called Sages of the American Revolution, and it's a short uh, biography of nearly of over 200 people that had a part in the founding of this country. The great names are, I just uh, reread the story of, uh, of John Adams, the second president of the United States. And, and it, again, it was only like a 30-page summary of his life in very flowery language. It was written uh, around the centennial of this country, a hundred years, when this country was a hundred years old. And, uh, it was an amazing, amazing story. And one of the quotes that just slipped my mind is going to find its way into a sermon. Uh, because John Adams in describing, well, the writer in describing John Adams and the other men who founded this country, unabashedly said they took the principles from the Scriptures. And these were men who spent their lives studying truth. Where did this idea of freedom come from? I, I want to tell you, these men found freedom in this book. And they had an opportunity to live it. But not a one of those men who signed that Declaration of Independence lived what we would call a good life. Many of them never saw, enjoyed the freedom of the very document that they signed. Some of them were harried to death. Some of them, uh, several of them died having lost every physical possession. And as far as we know, their testimony was that they had, would gladly give up what they gave up, their lives, their sacred honor, and their trust, so that others could live free. It's not the moment that makes you. It is the little moments. It is the daily walk with the Lord. You know, I think if I 
brought a challenge. The book of Hebrews is a fairly long and complex book, probably I don't know how many pages, but if I brought forth a challenge, how many could read the book of Hebrews at one sitting? Uh, take about two hours or so if you're uh, a fairly fast reader, maybe a little longer if you're slower, to read through the book of Hebrews. How many of you could do that? I, I would think we'd have a lot of takers. How many of you could keep up with this for a whole year? You know what? We have a whole lot less takers. Even though this would be far less reading on a daily basis, you can do your daily Bible reading about 20 minutes at the most, 30 minutes if it's some long chapters. But see, it would be easy to sit down for two to four hours at one sitting. Knowing I'm done for the whole year. I don't have to worry about this. I met the challenge. I did it. But it's that daily walk that we've got to work on. It, it is a race of life lived. And so we start in Hebrews chapter 12, one of the famous passages, Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which just so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. Now, that, that is a passage that we go to often, and we should. And we're going to have to run the race with patience. How many of you have ever ran over a mile? Or, I know several of you uh, remember, who was it? Was Ruthie and Esther, uh, they, they got in a... 3K or 5K or something like that, which about two and a half miles or three miles, something like that. You know what? You can't start out at a sprint if you're going to run three miles. you got to pace yourself. And uh, if you run far enough, it's just like your whole body goes numb. It's just picking one foot up. The longest I think I've ever ran was about eight miles. And uh, I'll tell you, there always came that point after the first really big hill where everything just went into uh, one foot in front of the other. Just one more step. One more step. And I set no records. I mean, I think I took over an hour to run uh, eight miles, which is very, very slow. And uh, uh, But here's what it says. Run with patience. God is not expecting us to accomplish great and mighty things. He wants us to live today. But if we're going to serve God, if we're going to run that race with patience, we've got to get rid of a few things. We've got to get rid of weights 
and the sin which does so easily beset us. I've heard many preachers preach on besetting sins, uh, certain sins that different people have problems with, but I don't believe that's what the author of Hebrews is talking about here. He's just talking about sin in general. Uh, in the Old Testament tabernacle, there was uh, the brazen laver because in the process of fulfilling the office of the priest, you would get your hands covered with blood and the fur and the entrails and the feathers uh, of the animals that were sacrificed. Your feet would get dirty walking in the courtyard uh, between the altar and the uh, tabernacle itself. And the priest had to be clean when he entered the tabernacle. In fact, not even Hophni and Phineas would enter dirty. We have no record of any priest dying because he entered the tabernacle with dirt on his hands or his feet. You know why? Because the brazen labor was right there. All he had to do was stop and wash. And even the brazen sons of, of Eli, who cared nothing for the temple sacrifice or the tabernacle itself, still didn't violate that principle. Isn't that amazing? You know, what we need to understand is, Don't wait for great things to happen. Run with patience the race that is set before us. Do you know that God has a different plan for each one of us? And we cannot run someone else's race. We cannot be faithful in someone else's duties. We we must be faithful in our own. And it says if we want to keep from fainting in our own minds that we need to look unto Jesus. Jesus is the author. He is the finisher. He is the writer. He is the creator of our faith. He is the one who has finished our faith. We look at that and it says he endured the cross, despising the shame. Why? For the joy that was set before him. Read down in the chapter, I think it's verse 22, it's talking about the church. Yes, uh, it, and that was the joy that was set before him. Listen, none of us are going to go through what Jesus went through. Aren't you glad about that? But our struggles will be to us as life-rending and as horrible as we can imagine them and worse. But if we'll keep our eyes on Jesus, we'll stop thinking about ourselves and understand that we can take that next step. We can keep moving in the right direction. And it tells us that ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. What that simply means is you're still alive. You know, James, the brother of John, actually, it was John was the, uh, yeah, James was the first martyr uh, killed by Herod, and yet 
we have John, his little brother, still there at the book of Revelation. Some believe as many as 65, almost 70 years removed from the cross. Still being faithful, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. You know why he wasn't in church? Because there was no church on the Isle of Patmos. In fact, the only person on the Isle of Patmos was John, all by himself. He had been exiled, removed from society. The, the Romans could not stop him. But he was still in the Spirit on the Lord's day. I love that testimony. Amen? And we just need to, to be reminded. I want you to turn just back a, um, uh, possibly a page or so in your Bible to Hebrews chapter 10, if you would. And the writer here is going through a whole list of things. In verse 24, he tells us to forsake not the assembling of ourselves together. We just want to look at the last few verses here. Verse 35 through 39, it says, Cast not away therefore your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. For ye have need of patience, that after ye have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. Now, what the writer of Hebrews is dealing with here is, he's saying, don't cast away the confidence that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. We can be assured that what this book in the Bible, what this book called the Bible says is true. Uh, back in the early 70s, uh, someone wrote a very profane song about uh, uh, pie, uh, American pie or something like that. And I know they made some movies that are terrible beyond that. And they came up with this little phrase, it's just pie in the sky by and by. Well, they made a rhyme. Wow, that was really smart. Heaven is not pie in the sky. Heaven is living in the presence of my Creator. What did David say in the psalm repeatedly? He says, I'll be satisfied when I awake with what? Thy presence. Amen? You see... We, we live in a world where it is easy to get discouraged. I mean, in politics, these people do not give up. They have attacked our president since the day he was elected. They have accused him of everything in the book. And, and by no means is... Uh, is any man involved in politics clean in this day and time that I know of. And yet, we give up all the time. What's the use? Why should I keep trying so hard when nobody cares? 
How many of you honest and said, I've been tempted like that? I've, I've thought those thoughts. Well, I want you to understand something. We have a confidence in a great recompense of reward. It says, ye have need of patience after that ye have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. I, I remember making a phone call one time, and I was just, uh, I, I can't explain how nervous I was. I was trying to get a hold of John Marshall and ask if I could marry his daughter. And you know what his response was? Are you serious about this? Yes, sir. Well, I have to think about it. Click. I was going, wow. And then I went and I asked my pastor, Roy Thompson, to pray for me. How many of you know what he did? He laughed at me. And it wasn't a nice laugh. It was... You think John's going to let you marry his daughter? <laughs> That's the best one I've... I, I mean, and I did not know my pastor like I probably should have. What he was really doing was telling me, you have nothing to worry about. But I'll tell you this, at that point, I was almost in tears, but I wasn't going to cry in front of him. Uh, but uh, I, I'll tell you, just, I had no... And then, Julia called up. Or I was calling her, and she said, Dad says it's okay. I said, I, I want to hear it from him. <laughs> I, I'm not going to. And so he got on the phone, and he said, well, he says, uh, she told you, right? I said, well, sir, I would like to hear it from you. Oh, he said, well, it's okay, but you can't get married in June or May when you want. You have to wait till September. What do you think of that? I'm going, yes! Why? Because he said yes. You know what? You have to have patience after you've done what's right to wait. Now, Lord willing, a week from Monday will make 30 years. You think waiting an extra three months really seems like that long of a time after 30 years? No, it was just a bat of an eye. And I think I can honestly say John Marshall's one of my best friends today. You know why? Because I submitted to the authority that was there. You know, that's the way it is with the Lord, isn't it? Why, why can't we just wait on Him? I promise you God will never do anything when you think He ought to. Because He's God. And He's not under an obligation to do things on our time frame. He is under an obligation to do what is absolutely best. And he's the only one that knows those things. And so we need to trust him. We need to believe in him. This is what Jesus was talking about in what is called the Olivet Discourse when he said, He that endureth to the end shall be saved. Hey, can I just give God the benefit of the doubt? Hello? Would that be so hard? Yes, it will be so hard. I promise you. But if I'm going to trust anyone, how about trusting God? 
Can I let God do things on his time? Do you think that was, and this is Hebrews chapter 10. We've already looked at Hebrews chapter 12. Is this not part of the foundation of the context for Hebrews chapter 12? And I I assure you that it most certainly is. And this whole idea of patience, uh, we go to James chapter 1. How do you get patience? Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Now, how many of you want your faith to be tried? Uh, Actually, if that's what you're looking for, come see me. You've got bigger problems than you think. Let's not go around looking for problems. Amen? But when God brings them our way, we need to understand that He is testing us. He is pulling us. He is stretching us so that we can get to James chapter 5. And turn there, if you would. James chapter 5, and we're going to just start reading in verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth, and hath long patience for it, until he received the early and the latter rain. Now, in order to understand What is being spoken of here? You have to know the growing seasons in the land of Israel. Here in America, uh, we are coming in quickly to harvest season. But in many parts of this country, uh, you will have farmers irrigating their fields. Uh, When we went on vacation in, in July... We were in uh, uh, the southern tip of the eastern shore uh, of uh, Maryland, down through that part of Delaware, I mean uh, Virginia there, and there were uh, huge potato farms just a little ways from where we were staying. And uh, they had these great big irrigation uh, uh, sprinkler systems. I mean, the pipe was a metal pipe that big around, and some of those things stretched three and four hundred feet across the field and it would be on wheels and it would work its way around and water those crops. In the land of Israel, you didn't need to do that. You had the early rains, which would be a heavy rain and it would soak the soil and break up the the dry soil and the farmer would go out and now the soil would be soft enough to dig and he would plant the seed in that moist soil and it would begin to grow. And then at the latter, just a month before the harvest would come the latter rains. Be just little sprinkles, fine, beautiful. God, God himself watered the land of Israel. That's what the latter rains. It was one of his signs of blessing. And I will tell you, if you've ever met a real farmer, somebody that actually went out there and tilled the soil and cultivated for, for a living, you're, you're going to find a fairly patient person. Because they know that you don't stick the seed in the ground today and get a crop tomorrow. They know that you've got to be out there and, 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 and uh, dig up the land, in fact, Many of the farmers will do the fertilizing in the fall before the winter. 
they'll they'll clean out the barn if they have uh, cows and things and move the uh, the uh, <clears throat> substance from cleaning the barn out to the fields and they'll plow it in under the fields and and they're working all winter as that is rotting under the ground it is fertilizing and making the ground fertile so then they come and they plow it up in the spring you got to be patient like the farmer if you've ever met anyone who knows their trade They're not in a hurry. But they also don't waste motion. You see, you need to be patient like the farmer. You need to be patient for the coming of the Lord. We do not know when He is coming. But He said for us to watch. Amen? Look at verse 9. Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. How does that fit in there? Well, in verse 7, it says, Be patient until the coming of the Lord. Be patient like the farmer. Verse 8, Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Be patient for the coming of the Lord. Verse 9, Grudge not one against another. How about being patient with each other? How many of you have enjoyed the fact that someone else was patient with you at some time in your life? Well, instead of blowing your stack at the person next to you, how about we be patient with them? The the Bible tells us that we need these things. And then we look at uh, verse 10. It says, Take my brethren, the prophets... I'll tell you, how, how patient was Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, just as a teenager thrown into the college of Nebuchadnezzar and offered all the best and the greatest that the city of Babylon had to offer. And yet he determined in his heart that he would not pollute himself, that he would not make himself unclean with the king's meat. And live three years off pulse. I, I, I don't think that uh, that that would be a rough that'd be a rough way to go. But hey, patient like the prophets. But look at verse eleven. Behold, we count them happy which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job, and have seen the end of the Lord. That the Lord is very pitiful, and of tender mercy. Could we be patient like those that have finished well? That's what this passage is talking about. Pick some people that finished well. As I grow older, one of my prayers is, Lord, I want you to keep me from becoming a mean old man. I've just met some mean old men in the ministry. Uh, And and I'll tell you, they... uh, uh, it, it it terrifies me that how how could someone do some of the things that some of these quote unquote preachers have done? You want me to tell you what? They weren't running the race with patience. They weren't taking the moments that God had given them and allowing them to shape them 
so that they could finish well. They weren't being patient. They had cast away their confidence in their latter years and were striving to do things on their own. And they became manipulators and, and, and people who have hurt the cause of Christ. But how about we be patient like the farmer? Remember that the Lord is coming. You'll never be a mean old man or a mean old woman if you're patient with each other. If you remind yourselves of the story of the prophets. Hey, those that have finished well. Why don't we turn to 2 Timothy. The book of 2 Timothy... Paul was one of those ones that finished well. I don't think any of us would like to finish our race the same exact way that Paul finished his, but here's what he said. As he is talking to Timothy, he says, But watch thou, verse 5 of chapter 4, the book of 2 Timothy, verse 5 of chapter 4, But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of evangelist, of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry, for I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. What a testimony. They tell us at this time that Paul was living in the Mamertine dungeon in the city of Rome. The Romans had concocted a way that would keep any prisoner from ever escaping. They built the prison in the middle of the main sewers of Rome. So that if you had excavated through the solid brick, uh, solid stone walls, all you would do is drown in the sewage of the city of Rome. And you could just imagine the seeping through of the stones and the, the stench and the disease and all of the things that were there. This is where Paul was. He said, I finished my course. Said, I did everything that God wanted me to do. He said, and now I'm just waiting to go home. I've often told the story of my great grandmother, who she we were talking one time, and she just said, I don't know why I'm still here. And I said, Well, what do you do, Grandma? She could hardly hear. Uh, she just had two little rooms in the house her and her first husband had built in the early uh, 1900s. And uh, she was knew she was dying and she just said, I don't know why God still has me here. Well, what do you do? And she, she just started listing all the people she prayed for. And I'm sitting there going... Well, Grandma, I think I know why God still got you here. You see, we, we need to finish that course. Only God has the right to determine our course. Amen? 
We've got to run the race with patience. Let's uh, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 as Paul is challenging the Corinthians. Some verses that we need to be reminded of. If you ever wonder why the world attacks the Christians so hard sometimes, it's, it's simply because of this verse right here. Therefore, my beloved brethren, the last verse of chapter 15, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. What do the richest men in the world, what is the new vogue for them as they start reaching that retirement age? Is giving away all of the wealth that they've amassed. Why? Because they know all the dirty, rotten things they did to get it. And they feel guilty and they feel like they ought to, ought to, to give uh, some of this money back to people that can use it. And they always give it to the absolute worst and most terrible causes. But, you know what? We don't have to give everything away as we get older to feel better about our life. Because if you're serving God, you're already giving Him that which He requires. You know, the, the financial guru guy, uh, Dave Ramsey on the radio, he, he, he has a lot of good stuff, but the big problem is he tells you to save everything up until you retire and then you can live on a very comfortable time and you'll be able to really give off the interest of all of your investments. God's not interested in your investments He's not interested in the potential of what you can do 20 years from now. God wants the little bit that you have in your hand. You know why? Because that's what worship is. It's not giving God something you might make down the road because of your wisdom. Boy, that just smacks so much of Cain. I don't even know how to describe it otherwise. But when we give Him the little bit of nothing that is part of our daily life and we worship Him in that uh, work of the Lord as we walk that path, as we run that race with patience, that is what God is looking for. And that's what God rewards. And when I get to the end of that race, I'm not going to regret having been faithful to the Lord Each day along the way. Amen? Why don't we just turn to one more verse. Galatians chapter 6. Verse you should know well. Verse 9. It says, And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap, if we faint not. Listen, that race... Not a hundred yard dash. Don't, don't miss out on growing in the Lord Jesus Christ. What is the wish of every 16 year old? To be 21. 
What is the basic wish of most 30-somethings? To be 21 again. Can I ask you what is so incredibly special about 21? I'll tell you what. There is nothing special about that date if you'll invest your life in walking with Jesus. But if you're looking for milestones, you're going to miss out. How many teenagers destroy their teenage years trying to be an adult? My favorite little thing, you know what puppy love is? what makes puppies act like dogs. Terrible thing. Don't give up the innocence of youth trying to be an adult. And don't do that in your Christian life. There is some growing that you must do as a Christian that only time can give you. Be faithful in the race that is set before you. And walk patiently and remember that we will reap in due season if we faint not. Be steadfast. We don't have to change. We don't have to give up that which God has given us. And when we get to the end of that journey, may we echo with the Apostle Paul. I'm ready to go. Not like Elijah. He was ready to go about 17 years earlier. And poor Elisha, I I will forever admire him because not only was Elisha on hold, I mean, Elijah put his life on hold when he said, God, take me. I'm done. I'm done serving you. Elisha had to wait all of those years doing nothing as well. But he did. And what was his blessing for waiting all that time? He was given a double portion, wasn't he? He did twice as many miracles as the great Elijah had done. There are twice as many miracles recorded about Elisha. Be patient. Run that race. Don't give up what God has given you. We never have to stop believing. What was the psalmist? He said, let me not be ashamed. How many times? All through the Psalms. You know what? We've read the end of this book. We do not need, no no believer in Jesus Christ will ever have to be ashamed of believing in Jesus Christ. Can we say amen to that? But just like the farmer, you know what? Paul was waiting on the coming of the Lord. Someone said, see, that proves it's not happening. No, that proves it's just that much closer. Amen? Hey, be patient like the prophets. We hear the story of Daniel in the lion's den. Daniel was probably somewhere between 70 and 80 years old when he was thrown into the lion's den. 
that would not have been a very pleasant experience. And if you've ever been close enough to the lions in uh, uh living place at the zoo, what's the first thing that greets you? Lion, you you think sheep stink. Man, lions, wow, it's terrible. Uh, But I'll tell you what, the king came the next morning in a lamentable voice. He said, Daniel, was thy God able to preserve thee? And up came the elderly voice from in the lion's den, O king, live forever. My God did exactly what he said he would do. Think of the patience the next time you feel like giving in. God is able to close the lion's mouth. Amen? God will keep us in our service. Let's remember... Life is not a is not a hundred yard dash. Life is not even a marathon. Marathon's only twenty six miles. They they run a marathon in what two and a half hours or less nowadays. It's crazy. The race. That God has set before us is simply that. It is a life to be lived. Can we remember that? God never forgets His promises. You remember that lesson on Noah and the ark? God remembers His promises. All He wants us to do is remember His word and obey it. All God's people said, let's pray.